Review, review, review. Ba 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 bum bum. Review, review, review. Ba 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 bum bum. Review, review, review. We review, we review. With me and you. Ba 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 bum. Welcome to our Time to Show Up review episode where Natalie and I take a deeper dive into last week's interview. If you hadn't had the chance to listen to that yet, you might want to check it out before listening further here. It'll make a lot more sense that way. That's right, because in this episode, we will be talking more about the theory behind the material that came up in that interview so we can better understand the elements that were going on there. We'll also be suggesting reading, practices and models that may help listeners like yourself who are experiencing resonant challenges and opportunities in their own lives. In this, our first season of Time to Show Up, we're making all of our content freely available to the public. But in the future, these review episodes will only be available within our subscriber community. Members of this community will have access to all Time to Show Up content, plus additional resources, materials, access to online forums, live events, and small groups. Since we know that just listening to stuff isn't usually enough to facilitate desired change, We've designed this community to give you the support you need to take your learning even further. And if you join us at the start of our journey and sign up before April 5th, 2024, we're offering a no-strings three-month membership for free at timetoshowup.org. That's right. And if you choose to stay on with us, which we hope you will, we'll give you a 25% early bird discount just to say thank you. If you're tuning in after that April date, don't worry, you can still try out a free two-week membership with no obligation. There are different packages to choose from, and you can find out more and get in touch at timetoshowup.org. So without further ado. Okay, so we are just back from our lovely conversation with Alison Coward, and I've certainly got a lot of ideas going on in my head, but I'm wondering what your first impressions are, Natalie. Oh, I had to write lesson. So I'm going to start with um, one of the qualities that I really appreciate in her, which is this idea of always figuring things out and this idea of continuous improvement and how the way that she described her journey to this point is also about a balancing of what that means. So when she talked about being a recovering perfectionist <laughs> and that constant kind of busyness and speed and you're mentioning the super egoic drive, like the shoulds, the must, and then moving towards self-advocacy that sometimes that improvement, quote-unquote improvement, can actually mean a slowing down. It can mean um, assessing where your drive is coming from and to what end. Um, and there's something really compassionate about that. So also that, that element around compassionate growth. So not just kind of always setting the bar higher and higher and higher, but taking the time to get to know yourself better and, and choosing how to live from perhaps a a more informed place from within. Um, that's covering quite a few points, I think. But what there about you? There was a lot in there. I mean, I feel like it was a really meaty interview yeah. in that way, partly because of who she is and how yeah. honest she was. But the work that she does in mm. workshop facilitation kind of really lent itself to, you know, you have to be insightful and you have to be aligned yeah. with yourself. But also her realization that maybe she she wasn't aware of how in her head she was before the illness. So I think one of the things that strikes me is, how a major external life event yeah. can really change things for people. And I know it's kind of a cliche story that, you know, I, you know, I, 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 I'm glad I got cancer because it taught me blah, 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 or whatever it is. And, and that, that is a bit pat. And I'm not mm. saying that, but oftentimes 
a major relationship breakdown, the loss of a company, um, a physical illness, some kind of really uh, something tragic that happens, something that undermines the way you know yourself can really be an opportunity to move through and learn something. And I guess part of maybe in our conversations, I'll be curious about how we can do that without needing yeah. those things to right, yeah. right, push us in the right direction. But if those things are going to happen, like to be able to use them, and I'm yes. sure we can all draw on those experiences. But I, I feel like, yeah, that, that transformation that stuck out for me was kind of moving out from the head and down into the body, mm. being able to distinguish more, though still struggling with, as we all do, that super egoic side and the um, more self-compassionate side. Yeah. Um, but also how one takes a group facilitation mm-hmm. role in managing their own self parts, yes. right? Because yeah. I think in a number of ways that, that came up a lot, right? Yeah, the constellation of selves. Yes. Um, I think also there was something about the coexisting with these different aspects of self that we have this, well, yeah, I think we do culturally have this idea that perfection is possible, that balance is possible, and that these are sort of, landing places where you arrive and then that's it and you've made it and it's in my experience so far it's just not like that 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 when you get a sense of greater knowledge around which voices you're in communication with or which aspects of yourself are in the driving seat it's not about kind of shoving that one out the, yes. <laughs> the car door yeah it's okay well maybe maybe you don't drive for a while now you sit in the back seat while I drive or whatever it is I don't know if that's a helpful metaphor but a coexistence with these different aspects um where you're not cutting bits off or pushing things aside and there's something around tolerance and I think with her work with facilitation and talking about how a lot of folks the starting place will actually be to do some self-awareness work or or self-inquiry um and to your point about where change happens hopefully cultivating environments or contexts, hopefully like we have here, where people can start that inquiry without being pushed to a brink or, or having to kind of be forced into self-knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sometimes yeah. I think the expression know thyself should be like know thyselves. <laughs> oh, yes, right? so I like that. <laughs> yeah, because it is, it is like a <laughs> bus, really nice. right? So there's this like bus with all these different people in it. Um, some are, most are unheard, and the more yeah. unheard they are, um, the more they're going to find a clever way to get in there, yeah. usually like pull you sideways or throw a curveball at you. But I think that is, and I, I like, I really like this idea of the individual and the group facilitator, because I think there is a role of self-facilitation. I mean, I've kind of jokingly called it team me, which I know is like, like, yeah, it's a little bit silly, but it's like, you got to pull this team together. You know, it's not just like the organizational physics model of getting an actual team across the river, but actually, you know, how you align yourself, what river do you want to cross the part of you that's going to want resist part of you that needs a nap and might really need a nap. Yeah right? The coxswain, that's right. It's not the person in the back of the boat who's like screaming, yes, yes. Thing, right? It's just like, shut up. Or like, actually we need you. And finding that space between all of those different elements mm. that can tolerate, accept, understand that the person screaming in the back or suffering up front is <laughs> screaming or suffering for a reason. Yeah. Right? But the alignment just, is there. Yes. Um, yes. Back to her point about the five steps. Um, the other thing as well, which she describes so, so poignantly, like, 
the disembodied head being yeah. kind of carried around from place to place. I mean, this is kind of a cultural hazard, yes. I think. Um, and then the kind of the antidote to that of her picturing herself on a beach, jumping and full of energy and fully embodied in this kind of quality of aliveness mm-hmm. that she was going for. And we didn't sort of end up coming back to that image, but that really touched me. The idea that, you know, you're, you're sitting in a hospital bed or laying and you're not sure really what's going on for, for the time that you're figuring out what's happening. And for that to be kind of the orienting dream, that's what I'm going for, yeah. is a really powerful one. Um, yeah. I feel like it's, and again, I don't want to like romanticize the suffering that happens when these things come from the outside, yeah. but there's a there's a magical quality that happens. And I speak from my own experience as well when the rug is taken out from under you and you are required to attend to the parts of yourself that aren't as good, Mm. that aren't accustomed to, you know, people who are perfectionists and into controlling Mm. things, suddenly they don't have control. And she she grasped control in a lot of really important areas to get herself out, but she also had to live through that control being taken away. Mm. And I know I bring these up a lot, particularly in these conversations about, you know, Jung's idea of personality types and inferior capacities and superior Mm. capacities. If we're not challenged from the outside, we just tend to lean on our superior capacities and we don't force ourselves to lean into the inferior ones, right? It's like only when we have to, which is also why it's so important if you can not to wait for those, but right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like if you know you're a head person, right? It's like, Find the opportunity to sink into your body. And if you know that you're kind of more of a sensate person, practice those parts in your head. Like, don't be like, well, I'm not a thinking person. You know, it's yeah. like, well, let's try out those <laughs> thoughts. I'm always like, I'm not a dancing person. <laughs> I just try to get me the five rhythms. All yeah. So, but like, I, if I if I were to take my own advice, yeah. which um, I'm reluctant to do <laughs> in this case. But that's the point. Like, we, there's a reluctance. Isn't yes. There? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah bloody uncomfortable yes um and I think the other thing that I found so amazing talking about discomfort was the fact that you know when she had to make the major when she chose to make the major life change Alison did it compassionately and took it step by step and with a lot of the coaching sort of seat kind of hot seat questions that come up often it's like well where do I begin or Mm -hmm. we'll ask you know what action can you take and it doesn't have to be that grand vision of I want to be a full-time photographer it can literally just be I'd quite like to go for a stroll and take my camera out with me and take one photo. Yes. That it that, that there was really kind of a sense of, at least I felt like this tender possibility of taking one step at a time, one step at a time. And then over the course of seven years, suddenly realizing that you've, you've rewritten the rhythm of your life um, through that commitment. And she sort of was, Alison was saying like promise that she's keeping to herself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which is really very moving and that self-advocacy piece. I thought it was also really enlightening in the, in the workshop work, you know, when we said, what is that, you know, what, what are one of the keys there? And she yeah. says it's, it's self-awareness. Yeah. So, right. You, you've got to be aware that you're the head person or you have to be aware that you're the person who wants to get the boat moving. Yeah. And a lot of us aren't, you know, a lot of us yeah. are just kind of plugged into that doing thing and taking that step back and saying, you know, w- what is, driving me here right and the the, that difference between that again that super egoic must drive and even like i mean i would say um even though we're doing a form of coaching in these in these works there there is a really pernicious kind of coaching that is out there in the world Mm -hmm. which is completely collusive with super egoic 
goals, huh. right? So it's like, help me achieve my aim, yes. right? And then there's a whole series of systems that then come into place to help someone achieve that aim without that first step, which is whose aim is it mm. really? Why is the same? And part of that, yeah, comes from the psychotherapy world of exploration. But I think you cannot get on board um, progressing somewhere that you haven't adequately thought through, yeah. right? Because if, if it's somebody else's aim you're yeah. fulfilling, whether it's professionally or That's educationally, yeah, you're, you're causing trouble because you're just doubling you're down. Resist it. I had, I had this experience with a coach at some point and there was kind of like, it was, it was an aim towards a specific element of my business that I was developing. And I was getting like developing the thing, developing the thing. And I got to the point where I was like, I'm really hating this. I don't want to be doing this. I was reluctant to, you know, the, I felt this building up storm and it was precisely that. It was like, I don't want to be climbing this mountain. I don't want, until the voice got really loud. And it was literally that sense of, I don't want to be doing this, this little kid me version. Mm-hmm. It was like, no. And the point was to just kind of stop and listen and be like, okay, well, maybe the practice is working. It's just that we're not orienting in the direction where I want to be heading. And I think that was it. And so there's that question of, you know, are you actually putting all of your efforts taking yourself down a road that you'd really rather not go. Yes. <laughs> it's like, you know, we all have to do shit that we don't want to do, but it's it's more than that. It's, it's like yes. if you're carrying a heavy backpack and supplies on a path that you want to be treading, that's a completely different thing to taking that backpack or taking some of the shit out of the backpack and going down the road that you really don't want to go. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm thinking about difference. the Steve Watson interview that we did where, you know, he mm. was on this very well-paved road towards, mm. you know, NHS administration, right? And then had this calling to go another direction, made the space to go yes. in that direction. And I think one of the things that I'm pulling out of this interview and a lot of them is the quality of listening. So like, huh. what are you listening into? Are you listening into this received super egoic direction, yeah. right? This is like, and, and, and one of our coaches is what, you know, had a parental message, which was, you know, once you start something, you finish it, yeah. right? And it's just like, well, actually, you, you can reassess that, yes. you know, like maybe not finish it if it's not the right thing. Mm. Maybe it's okay not to be a perfectionist. Yeah. Maybe it's okay to nap. And then other people who struggle with the other side yeah. of that, which is I allow myself too much of my immediate pleasures and I'm not putting myself in the discomfort of pursuing something. And where you hear that voice, like yeah. how you get directed is so important. And it's mm. very nuanced isn't it it's between so nuanced. like what one should and then do. it could also be so context dependent like you know when you're talking about self-advocacy you're the super egoic and then the kind of like the, the kind of castigation you know in some parts of my life I definitely recognize that that with food for instance like you know I should not eat this and then the other parts like oh, I'm going to eat this <laughs> you know and, and then in other areas I'm very mature about the whole thing and so there is also this kind of it's not just a constellation of selves they also show up within specific contexts that bring to bear certain pressures or leniences that that then kind of put kind of put pressure in different parts so it's 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 messy it makes me think of the mbti oh god <laughs> no no mbti free zone we have a little we have a little mbti thing oh. but the mbti thing is is oh very context i'm not going to get into it but i'm just saying it's context dependent and this is in the issue around like people identifying oh we didn't go down that road about identifying with an illness oh we didn't yes that's true we picked that up but like you know you can be introverted in a certain situation and extroverted in another situation you know the big five does speak to that too it's a different (laughs) register of experience um between what is validated and what is meaningful but we'll save that conversation (laughs) for another time (laughs) 
But I think actually, but let's not like lose the main point, which is <laughs> you're making a really important point. I don't yeah. know. Um, yes, which is that you know you can show up in different ways in different contexts. So I'm quite extroverted. In some contexts, I'll be introverted, and likewise for you, there might be points where maybe you're more conscientious, and other points where you're less. You know, we're we're, we're movable creatures. Yeah. We're not just fixed in one specific set of traits like these things do change depending on you know the context in which we find ourselves for sure and speaking yeah. of fixed i want to think a little bit about resource and i mentioned this ah, book yes. um immunity to change which i really highly recommend highly validated Good. <laughs> harvard psychologist <laughs> you like that but that change is really really hard and the reason why change is hard is because human beings are essentially a homeostatic beast oh, like they yeah. want to keep things as they know it, that's why we have a repetition compulsion to keep, you know, keep doing the same thing that doesn't work over and over again. It's scary to step out of that. And um, it's not an easy read, and I would not suggest you get it on an audiobook because you actually really need to read the words and engage with it. But it is a, there is a system in really identifying why you want to make those changes, the beliefs you have about why you, why you might be avoiding making those changes a little bit cognitive behavioral but it goes a bit deeper you can also get um kind of an accountability partner to work through Mm -hmm. that system with who can ask you the right sorts of questions but just to accept that if you want to make a change listen to the right voice and then get any kind of support you can to make that thing go forward and there's lots of resources out there to do that and i think a key point to make and obviously this kind of feeds into why we're doing this as well is that it's much easier often to make change when you're doing it in relationship in community with people who can support one another um it's much harder to go alone in in many cases so yeah yeah and i think that's another personality type in a way isn't it they're the people who will just like charge forward independently (laughs) and i'm never gonna ask for help and then the people who are resistant to charging forward independently and always asking for help and advice before moving on even those of us hand up (laughs) does charge forward which i do often um it can get lonely and then it's Mm. like there's only so much fuel you can put in your own little tank whereas if you're kind of in a fleet and your fuel tank gets a bit low other people can top it up so yes for sure you know um and then obviously Alison's book which i highly recommend i have had the chance to look into it um i put a little endorsement for it as you'll see hopefully or if it gets onto the cover <laughs> it might not workshop culture a guide to building teams that thrive um it's really good it's really good she's fantastic so we'll include that in the show notes as well um and then i think we need to include something in the show notes about super egoic versus self-advocacy <laughs> right. type of um motivational shelves yes we will point you in the direction of what the distinction is between the should and must bit and what might be more of a a kind of a calling um also not to throw competition directly (laughs) in allison's way but i did mention organizational physics as well um lex sisney and we can put a link to that too which is just another model i mean there's so many different models about how people work with each other and it's really about identifying the one that that kind of matches you yeah that, that you can understand is there anything that we've missed that we need to include in this section or are we? I think there's probably a ton more, just like I could have talked to <laughs> yes. her for an hour more, but yeah. I think um, that might might cover it for the for the present. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time to shop with us and um, we're really looking forward to sharing more with you. See you at the next one. <laughs>